You're listening to Superflexology, a Superflex-focused fantasy football podcast with your hosts, Sean Bauer and Mitch Sorensen. Welcome to episode 35 of the Superflexology Fantasy Football Show, a proud member of the Full-Time Fantasy Network. I'm your host, John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter at The Bauer Club. As always, I am joined by Mitch Sorensen, that's at DinoMC on Twitter, and Dan Lamagna at LC underscore Dean. What's going on, guys? What's up? It is a big day here, JB. It's uh, my first day returning to parenting and being a you know a family member in the house with the NFL season over. So you know, other than a little XFL prep, uh, looking forward to our guest tonight to start the rookie preparation. Tell me you're not doing XFL DFS. Never enough football, JB. Never <laughs> enough football. FanDuel uh, and DraftKings are both running contests, so we're ready to roll. Yeah. I, I worry about you sometimes, Dan. <laughs> what do you guys think about the game before we get started on the show here? You guys watch the Super Bowl. What were your thoughts? It was a great game. Competitive. I was actually expecting the 49ers to win. I was kind of shocked the Chiefs came back there in the fourth quarter and won, but it was really good. All right. You were whistling a different tune in the first half when we were I messaging. Was. You were like, oh, yeah. this is so boring. It was pretty awful. Like that first quarter was really slow. It took forever. Come on, you, you guys are all caught up in this fantasy football, you know, which, you know, we're all addicts. I agree. But that was a great football game. It was a battle for four quarters. So when you two were bored there and John was looking up like uh, sneak previews for The Bachelor tonight, I was enjoying some real football. And as long as the Niners, you know, me being a Cowboys homer, as long as the Niners didn't get their sixth Super Bowl ring, I was happy. Dan, you're an old school guy, aren't you? Smash mouth I, football. You know, I mean, it was. It was competitive. If it was a blowout, then I could see you guys complaining a little bit more. But it was a close game. And it did pick up in the second half like we expected. It did. I think everything kind of picked up with the halftime show, but maybe that's just my prerogative here. <laughs> Good call. Uh, before we get into tonight's show, we are still doing the autographed Tyler Boyd jersey giveaway. We are going to raffle it off on Sunday, February 23rd. It's going to coincide with the beginning of the combine. So make sure you get your reviews in, get entered to win the autographed Tyler Boyd jersey. We were talking before we jumped on the air tonight. This is a really different show for us. Talking about Devi. Talking about rookies prior to the NFL draft, it's something that we really haven't hit on all that much. So we thought, who better to have on the show in our first guest of 2020? He's the senior Devi writer for Dynasty League Football and the creator and host of the Destination Devi podcast, DDP. I'm not talking about Diamond Dallas Page. Tonight we are being joined by none other than Ray Garvin. That is at Ray GQ on Twitter. If you have a pulse, if you're listening to the show, I am almost certain you're following him on Twitter. So I don't have to plug his Twitter handle there. What's going on, Ray? Thanks for joining us. John, Dan, Mitch, it is an honor. I am excited. I mean, literally, I woke up this morning. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not saying this. It felt like game day. It felt like I was like, all right, I'm on the Superflexology show tonight. I know these guys have a good show lined up, so let's get it, man. I'm excited to be here, excited to talk to you guys. We have been talking through group chats, Twitter. It's been almost a year now. And you, Mitch, and myself, we met in some of the Scott Fish Safe Leagues, again, about a year ago. And I think the first league we did together, we had the startup prior to the NFL draft. Rookies were included. So we thought, what better thing to talk about here tonight? That's one of the topics of discussion. We talked about Dynasty League football, talked about Destination Devi podcast. How did you get into being a contributor for fantasy football? And what drew you specifically? specifically to the Debbie aspect. 
Oh, man. You know, I've been playing fantasy football now for the past seven years, six or seven years competitively. My first year ever playing, I drafted all Dallas Cowboys. I had no clue what I was doing. The Cowboys were my favorite team, so I like loaded up on every Cowboy that I can get. Ray, but, you're um, going to get you're after gonna get that Daniel uh, horrendous season. There. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I knew I liked something uh, After that horrendous season... <laughs> you know, I just being on Twitter and watching other people talk about fantasy football, other people talk about football in general. I am no professional scout. I don't even consider myself some big time analyst. I don't I don't really consider myself an analyst. I just I watch the game. I love the game. Uh, I was blessed enough to have played the game at some sort of competitive level where they paid for my schooling at a Division II school, Shadron State College. And as I'm listening to certain analysts, and I'm not going to name names, talk about incoming rookies and why this player is is the best running back or why this player is the best wide receiver, I'm sitting back thinking, dude, what? Like, no, no. Like, I can provide 10 times better analysis than what I just heard for an X number of reasons. So last year before the draft, I just started like reinventing my Twitter account and sort of talking about sleeper prospects, uh, Ashton Doolin, uh, Darwin Thompson, guys like that. And uh, Garrett Price, a good friend of mine over at Dynasty Nerds, saw one of my rookie threads, asked me for a, you know, did I ever consider writing? And I was like, not really, but let's see what it does. And, you know, it actually worked out. And I was over at Dynasty Nerds and Debbie in general, because John and Mitch, we talked about this when you guys were starting this show. I did a ton of research about what types of fantasy football shows were out there, what kind of podcasts were out there. And there are tons that focused on Dynasty and Fantasy, you know, Redraft, DFS. Not so many that focus on Superflex and focus on Debbie in general. So I figured I love the college game. I played college football. Why not corner this market and really give that a go? And I did it at probably the absolute worst time because nobody wants to hear about Debbie during startup season. But I went ahead and did it and didn't think I'd get 10 shows in. And here I am approaching episode 50. And, uh, you know, humble brag, DDP is the most popular Debbie podcast in the world. So I think I made a good decision. I saw your post on Twitter today, and it was the screenshot of Chartable. And I think you were number nine overall for fantasy football shows. That is a huge accomplishment. And your tweet it even said something like, you know, maybe it's only one day. That's still a hell of a lot better than a lot of the other shows and people that are putting out content. So I want to say congratulations to you on that. And I'm sure many more incredible things to come from you. And real quick, I have to give you guys a shout out too, because Mitch and John, you guys really, it for anybody listening right now, and I hope it's thousands of people that are going to listen to this show. It's a very nerve wracking experience getting behind the microphone and putting yourself out there to do this. And I mean it sincerely, when you guys started this show, it really gave me, and we probably talked about it, it gave me the courage, the motivation to start the Destination Debbie podcast. So when I say, uh, little do you guys know, I owe you guys a tremendous amount of credit for putting yourselves out there and giving me the confidence and courage to put myself out there. I just, I don't mean to go back and belabor the point, but I really thank and appreciate you guys for doing what you do on this show. Thanks, well, dude. Thank I really you. appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate that. And I always joke, people talk about the starting their own podcast. And I say that Best Buy will sell a microphone to anybody. So if Mitch and I could get behind a mic and start a show, I encourage anybody that thinks about it, whether it's writing a podcast, even Twitter threads, whatever the case may be, 
do it. It's, it's the same thing that you just talked about, Ray. It takes a lot of courage and there's a million reasons not to do it. But I think we just have a blast doing it. We like helping people. We are extremely passionate about it. You know, all four of us here. And if you're thinking about doing anything fantasy football related, get out there and do it. So with that said, we're going to dive right into the show tonight. And Dan, you wanted to talk about the different formats, right? Yeah, just so you know, some questions for Ray here. And the first time I had the opportunity to listen to Ray was on your show, guys. You know, and this is before John and Mitch uh, wrote me into the world of podcasting and Dynasty and, and you name it. You know, I listened to you, Ray, and I've really enjoyed your work uh, when it comes to the college game and, and prospect watch. You know, yourself, Matt Waldman, there's a couple of names out there that really are putting some good content, some good posts on Twitter. And, you know, I think back I started in fantasy football probably like a lot of us you know we're, we're young we're doing redraft with the league back home and then over time it grows into something else and I love DFS I love dynasty and the Debbie's new to me so first Ray I'm curious what other leagues are you participating in and you know a little more of what drew you to Debbie you know I, I'm guessing maybe you're a big college football fan too I, mean, I know you shared a little bit of your story there of, of you know listening to other analysts but is that your first love you know college football and Debbie kind of keeps you connected to to that and what other formats are you playing yeah absolutely I, I love the college game love it love it love it love everything about college football from the time you wake up on saturday morning and go to the tailgate and it's just it's school pride it's the band it's those guys that are hungry to get to the next level no matter if it's division three juco division two II, division one i just love everything about college football. If I had to pick one that I can only watch either college or NFL for the rest of my life, it would undoubtedly be collegiate football. I love college football, but I play in a ton of different leagues. Dynasty is really like really the passion, right? I just, I love being able to build and construct your team in a multitude of ways, right? If, if you want to win now, you're going to grab those vets. You don't, you're not caring about age. Like I want to build a powerhouse right now. Debbie just, it adds another layer of what we all love to do is trade, right? You can trade rookie picks, you can trade veterans. And then when you have Debbie picks, you also have like a third layer that you can deal with to construct construct your team in your roster super flex format that just another strategic piece in how to build and construct your team I just I would encourage everybody and I say this all the time if you want to be a better dynasty player right you you don't really pay attention too much to college but if you want to be better in dynasty you need to at least be in one Debbie league at just one one Debbie league or if you're just hell bent and you're opposed to it then you need to follow somebody who pays attention because I always say dynasty is chess not checkers and if you know that Brees Hall is potentially coming out in 2022 that Sam Howell and Bo Nix and George Pickens and Garrett Wilson are going to be a part of that 2022 class. During rookie draft season this year, there you go, I'll see you with the Georgia jersey on. <laughs> During rookie drafts this year, you can ask for a 2022 first There's some like throw-in in a deal that nobody is thinking about, right? Now, will George Pickens or Garrett Wilson evolve into what we think they are? Who knows? You know, maybe not. But you can start positioning your team to when the 2021 NFL season rolls around, you've got three or four 2022 first-round picks chilling on the roster. And if that class does shape up to be good or whatever the case may be, you've gotten those assets for free years in advance. And I, and I took that same approach with 2020. Two years ago, I knew or had an idea of what was coming in 2020. So during the 2018 drafts, 
I'm trading for 2020 picks when nobody else is thinking about them, right? So that's what Debbie allows you to sort of, to be able to have that idea of what's coming. And you need to be paying attention to what's coming, regardless if you watch college or not, because the doggone players you're drafting on your dynasty team, they're coming from college football. So pay attention. That's what I was looking for there too, Ray. And I, I think it's good for our listeners to get a little more of the Debbie perspective. You know, I joked at the beginning of the show, I, I rejoined my family today as the NFL season's over. I'm, I'm an NFL diehard, but every offseason, I'm trying to find a different way to improve my game, whether it's redraft, dynasty, DFS. And you said it best when you said everyone has to have at least one Debbie. So I was hoping you would just take me over the top here for Debbie. I do love the college game. Um, I'm blessed to be able to work at Lackawanna College, one of the top JUCOs I, in the, the country. I started coaching there um, in 2006, able to be around guys like Kevin White, who went with the Bears in the first round, Mark Lewinsky, who's starting with the Colts right now. So when it translates over to fantasy football, I think Debbie's the missing piece for me. So appreciate that uh, feedback there. Little DFS too, Dan. Mitch Mitch made me deposit some money into a couple of uh, DFS sites and I lost a lot. So I'm going to need some help there. I have no clue what I'm doing in DFS. I lost a lot of money thanks to Mitch. <laughs> Don't worry, I lost a lot of money too. Dan well, I was gonna, that's half of it now. I was going to say, we'll make sure Mitch reimburses you, but the fact that he's moving and he lost a lot in DFS, I don't know if he's going to be able to reimburse you much. So if he writes you a check, maybe hold on to that one. I made a deposit yesterday, you know, for DraftKings. It's Super Bowl, so you want to put something down. I got the look. Like, my wife knows how bad I am at DFS, and she just looked over and shook her head, and I was like, yep, I know. And of course, I lost. (laughs) Mitch might be bad at DFS, but keep him playing, guys, because he's always good for one tip that helps you win in your own lineup. So Mitch has helped me before. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Seeing guys, that's why I watch The Bachelor, because, you know, Bachelor and DFS, there's strong ties there. Anyway. Not good ties, John. Not good ties. No, apparently not. I want to get into So this is, it's an age-old question, right? Film or analytics, and you cannot go through an off-season. You, I mean, you can't even go through the regular season without logging on Twitter, jumping on there, and seeing a debate between film or analytics. And you can be either really far to one side or really far to the other. It doesn't see, it, It's kind of like politics, I feel like. It doesn't seem like a lot of people are in the middle there. Before I kind of get into my, my questioning here, I'm going to give Mitch a chance to complain here because we've talked about different metrics and analytics and measurables, and I I know some of it, Mitch, it rubs you the wrong way and you're not necessarily a film guy. I'm not. I never played football, you know, in high school or college. And so I don't really know what I'm looking for on film. But with analytics, I think especially in the NFL, there's certain ones we can look at. And we know they're sticky from year to year. If it's from Mike Clay's OTD metric to yards per route run and in college, you know, dominator rating is extremely sticky. And But there's just some that... I don't think matter as much, but they're getting pushed really hard on, on different social media sites now. BMI. And yeah, it's BMI. But <laughs> I, I don't want to trash it. All I want to say is for the listeners out there, find the metric that you like and that makes sense to you and stick to it. We could go out there, we could look at air yards and air yards are very sticky too. But if you don't know what you're looking at in air yards, it can push you in the wrong direction. So I was just gonna say with analytics, just find the ones that you like and stick to them and don't try to incorporate every single thing out there because a lot of it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And people always say people lie, numbers don't. It's true that numbers don't lie, but I went to school for applied math. So I'm all about analytics. I'm all about the numbers. You 
can get numbers to tell a certain story or a certain narrative that helps push your, you know, whatever you want to preach. And that's what people do, I think, to an extent. So, Ray, again, I, I think you lean a little bit more to the side of film, but I've seen some of your recent tweets. I know that you had a few shows with Peter Howard. You were on one of his shows and he's a big analytics guy. So was he able to convert you a little bit there? All right, I gotta I gotta take my glasses off for this. Uh -oh. Let me let me rub my rub my brow real quick because <laughs> this whole debate I understand and, and Mitch is absolutely right. Find the metric that works for you. Find the metric that works for you that makes sense to you and you use that. I'm gonna add to that. Keep that crap to yourself. If that's all you're gonna do, if that's what you're gonna hang your basis of your argument on that one metric, keep it to yourself. Because John, you're absolutely right. The numbers itself don't lie, but you can definitely create and paint a beautiful narrative around whatever those numbers are. And I hear all of this stuff about film is so subjective. It's subjective, it's subjective. We need to get away from the subjective biases and let's stick to data because that is empirical, that is proven, there is fact there. But then I hear some people talk about market share and it's, if you don't hit this threshold, you're not good. But if you surpass it, it doesn't really mean much because it's just the threshold. But if you're a good player and you get close to the threshold, well, I'll overlook that. But if you're a good player and you don't, I, I just, it's it's been driving me crazy. As soon as I figure, like, I feel like I've got a grasp on it. I'm like, okay, I'm all in. I, I hear people talk about Jerry Judy and he didn't hit the threshold, but it's okay that Judy didn't hit it. It's okay that he didn't hit the market share threshold because he's good and he's done it before. So we'll discount it. But if somebody else, it just, I don't even can and, and and truly I don't consider myself this film grinder. I really don't. A I've got two kids. I don't have time to grind film. If you look at majority of the video tweets that I put out, it's very general basic analysis. Jonathan Taylor, great run. Watch how he makes the spin in the hole. Like that's pretty much what I just said. I'm not <laughs> look at his cognitive awareness when he plants his left foot in the ground. The dorsal fin of his upper shoulder goes to the <laughs> left and he veers off. Like, I'm not making that type of analysis, man. Like, the what I do is I watch college football. And if I see somebody that looks good, and I say, he looks like a good player, you should go invest in Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard is going to be good this fall. I watched him last year. Like, th that's what I, that's really the basis of my film analysis. Like, there may be a couple of things where I dive into how you can create separation, but I'm not, I have never once claimed to be some scout or a film grinder, and I very much appreciate the analytic side to fantasy. And like Peter Howard said, if anybody out there is saying they only solely rely on one and not the other, then A, you probably don't want to listen to that individual and B, they're a lie. Like, you, you can see it. You know, Peter, and this isn't about Peter Howard, but in his model, it talked about A.J. Dillon was somebody that his model liked. If he watched one game of A.J. Dillon, I bet you he'd change his tune as to A.J. Dillon versus Jonathan Taylor or DeAndre Swift or a J.K. Dobbins. So for me personally, I like to watch the game. So sure, I'm a film person, but I do not discount and discredit what the market share metric thresholds mean, what yards per route run, how that influences and those sticky metrics. I like them both. I enjoy dominator rating. I enjoy watching tape. I like it all. And if you want to paint a complete picture, you should use a little bit of everything that's at your disposal, in my opinion. 
Absolutely. I think once you marry up both of those film and analytics, you become a little bit more complete. And I, it's definitely something that I still need to work on. Like I said, I'm definitely more the analytical side. I did play a little bit of peewee football in, I think it was fourth grade. And I don't want to brag guys, but I had three carries for 18 yards. Now, anybody out there that knows anything about math, that's a six yards per carry average. That's pretty good. So I'm going to hang my hat on that. But yeah, I'm definitely more of the analytics side. Dan, you always come across, and I I think you're a little bit more old school, so I would guess that you'd be more of a film person than necessarily analytics. Is that correct? First, it's a little hard to follow up your six yards of carry in uh, peewee <laughs> football, but I'm going to do my best here. Beat that average. Beat that I, average. I appreciated that. No, you know, I'm, I'm going to say I'm a hybrid, but I'm more of a get the right people in your organization to be able to utilize those analytics as a, as a tool for an edge and the right people to watch the film. You know, we heard last night during the Super Bowl where Kansas City GM Brett Veach, and we heard all week probably or two weeks of Super Bowl hype where he says, hey, I got this kid, Mahomes. I got this kid. I got this kid. Watch this film, Andy Reid. Keep watching watching this film there's a guy that's watching the film and knows what to do with it and get it to their to their coach and then there's people that use those analytics as a tool and it gives you an edge and like ray said there's certain things just keep it to yourself you're just using analytics as a tool not to run your organization and you know in our past episodes when we were previewing teams very often you, you know you hear me say about the organizations that are I know the buzzer's coming out here, but dysfunctional, all right? Look at the Cleveland Browns. They are building around analytics. You know, they bring in this coach, Kevin Stefanski, about analytics. Their front office with Andrew Barry and Paul DePistota. But when they pick a guy and it goes wrong, what are they blaming it on? The analytics. You know, so, you know, you really need just football people that can make a good decision, use the film and use the analytics to run a a top-notch organization like we see the Chiefs and even the Niners. You know, they got a good blend of both, and that's why they're in the Super Bowl yesterday. So to answer your question, John, I I believe in both. You know, maybe a little bit more film having, you know, been a coach before, and I I could appreciate watching film, but uh, I'm more about the people in your organization. I was not surprised at all by your answer and the fact that you brought in actual football and the organizational perspective there talking about film versus analytics and I think it's always going to be a raging debate I don't think it's ever going to be settled because there's and there's always going to be outliers one way or the other well this guy doesn't have great measurables he doesn't test well his breakout age wasn't what it had to be his BMI is over the threshold but he overachieved at the NFL level and then there's going to be guys that just didn't look great in college on film and then something just clicks maybe and you know they pop in the NFL so those are kind of the arguments against film and and analytics, you're always going to be able to find those outliers that are going to be able to prove the other wrong, even though that's definitely not the right way to phrase that. But definitely something that I wanted to discuss with you, Ray, and I'm really glad that you were able to shed some light on that. And the same approach doesn't work for everybody, but it's definitely something to to keep your eye on moving forward. Find the things that work for you, just like Mitch said earlier tonight. JB, one last pet peeve, man. We, we, we talk about those analytics. You hear every so often you get certain head coaches in the NFL and, and they just say they don't believe in them or they don't want to hear about analytics. To me, if you're not open-minded and you're closed-minded to what's out there, then you're one of those organizations that's repeating the same mistakes year in and year out. And then, you know, you look at Warren Sharp and some of his analysis of these teams' trends and they just want to pound the rock on first down every single play. 
say, well, you know, if you're not open-minded to at least learn about it and putting some key people in your organization, that's another pet peeve I have. And that's, End of rant. No, you're good. Whether it's from an actual NFL standpoint or fantasy, if you're not open-minded, and I, yeah. I always see people, they talk about, well, this is the way that you need to build your dynasty teams, whether it's running back heavy, whether you target wide receivers early, whatever the strategy may be, you have to be open-minded and it's not necessarily always going to be, Hey, this is what's going to work. So I think that's a fantastic point to bring up. And I'm really glad that you did. Thanks brother. (laughs) I think we're jumping into running backs next. So I was just going to bring up something real quick. So running back market share right now, you could go on Twitter and you could see Deandre Swift is being devalued because he was never the workhorse back in the Georgia backfield. And you could scroll down two or three tweets and see Jonathan Taylor should be devalued because he got all of the carries. And so he's all used up and he's not going to be good in the NFL now. And I, I was just wondering how Ray looks at it because I think it's something that we really need to adjust how we look at running backs from here on out. We can't be using any analytics or stats from like 2010 because running backs have just changed since then. How they're used in the NFL has changed. How they're used in college has changed. And I think if we're going back saying, oh, you have to have whatever percentage in the backfield, it's just not going to play out that way moving forward with how they're being used in college. Mitch, that's such a great point. It's th- there's a couple of things to unpack in here. A, the the college game is changing. Okay, when Georgia recruits kids, and I and I posted this tweet on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Kirby Smart, since Todd Gurley was there, it's been I think it was like six years. No running back has exceeded I think it was like 224 carries uh, since Todd Gurley back in 20 whenever that was 2013 2014. That includes Nick Chubb. That includes Sony Michelle, DeAndre Swift. They just they're not using the running backs at Georgia that way. And Kirby Smart came out and said, as a part of his recruiting pitch, you come to Georgia. I'll make sure that you're fresh for the NFL. I'm not going to run you into the ground. You're not going to be a bell cow running back here at the University of Georgia because we've got Zamir White. We've got Kendall Milton on the way. We've got other five-star recruits. So instead of me giving you the ball 350 times and using you up in college, I'm going to make sure you got tons of tread left on the tire. I'm not concerned about DeAndre Swift's market share, and that's where context matters. Whether it's film, whether it's analytics, context matters. And, you know, it sort of talks about the point that John, the, the question that John asked about film versus analytics. My advice to you is... If you're not a film guy, if you're not an analytics person, find somebody that you trust that is that and rely on them to feed you information. I'm not saying that you need to listen to that person from beginning to end, but at least if if John says, I'm not really a film guy, Ray, who are a couple of sleepers to keep an eye on? I can say, okay, make sure you keep an eye on Darrington Evans, keep an eye on this guy, and he can go do his own research. I'm just providing the information. But in that case right there, I'm not concerned about DeAndre Swift because of how Georgia uses their running backs per the head coach, per their system. I'm not as concerned about Jonathan Taylor's workload because you guys subscribe to the same notion as I do. Four years, four to five years, that first contract, if I can get RB1 return out of a running back for four to five years, and after that you're telling me that I can have an RB2 on my hands, a mid or low RB2 from Jonathan Taylor or whomever that is, that's gravy. If I get some more RB1 seasons out of that player and year seven and year eight, then that's a gold mine. I don't care. 
Jonathan Taylor is going to be fine for the first four to five years of his career. After that, who knows what's going to happen? Hell, who knows what's going to happen after year one with any of these guys, but I'm not concerned about his workload. Times are different. Things are changing in the NFL game. The the way that these players are utilized and there are very few true bell cow Derrick Henry style, even Christian McCaffrey. And then I, I would, I really want somebody to do the the data, some analytic person out there listening. You know, it, it would be nice to have like a almost like in boxing where they count power shots and body shots and you know power punches landed. I wonder how many hard blows a Christian McCaffrey has taken week in and week out versus a Derrick Henry versus that true, you know, just two down grinder. I'm not concerned about JT for the first four to five years of his career. And I'm really not concerned about DeAndre Swift. If anything, I'm even happier that he only got, you know, minimal workload throughout his career. That's fine with me. The NFL game is changing. The college game is changing. How they recruit kids, it's all changing. So context matters. It's so funny, and Mitch, you and I have talked about this before, but just like you said, how you go on Twitter and you see, well, player A didn't have enough work in college, so I'm going to discount him. And player B had too much work in college, well, I'm going to discount him. So at what point is, is it just you have to find that sweet spot? All right, this is exactly how many touches you have to have for me to value you highly. It's a little absurd to me. And we saw with Josh Jacobs last year. He was discounted by many people, and it seemed like maybe the landing spot helped change that a little bit. And that's a great segue here into our next question, Ray. How important is it for you to have your pre-draft evaluation versus the landing spot and draft capital? So in other words, is the landing spot and draft capital in the NFL draft, is that ever going to heavily change your pre-draft evaluation? I'll say I learned my lesson last year, and that valuable lesson came in the form of one A.J. Brown, who I heavily discounted after the NFL draft because he landed in Tennessee. And I really, shame on me, pre-draft, I was touting A.J. Brown. I had him high. He gets drafted by the Titans, not feeling Mariota. Corey Davis is there. They've got Derrick Henry. They're just going to run the ball. And I let him slip and slip and slip and passed him up a couple of times in some leagues. And I told myself, never again. Now, a little bit of overreaction. I think landing spot matters to some degree, to some degree, right? Just say DeAndre Swift gets drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, that's going to impact what he could potentially be in the NFL if they just signed Zeke and he's there then yes, I may adjust a little bit. Honestly, John, I learned a valuable lesson last year in trying to do the landing spot game and adjusting J.J. Arcega-Whiteside up and moving him up higher than these players and discount. I'm not going to play that game again. If, If I believe in the talent, and I've done the work and I've got a process and that process said A.J. Brown or whomever is the best wide receiver in this draft class, if DeAndre Swift is the best running back, if Jerry Judy is the best wide receiver, then I don't care where they go unless it's a desolate, dysfunctional wasteland, I'm taking that guy. I'm just going to bet on the talent that they are going to get the opportunity and they're going to showcase what they have in their in their arsenal and skill set. So the A.J. Brown scenario really taught me a valuable lesson last year because I ended up moving some lesser players above him based off a landing spot. And that came uh, back to backfire in a major way. And that's a fantastic lesson learned. And it's something that I learned as well. You brought up A.J. Brown. One of the first shows that we had for the Superflexology Fantasy Football Show, it was actually 
I think the only episode pre-draft and Mitch and I both said that AJ Brown, he was not dependent on landing spot, that his value was very insulated and we had him very highly ranked. Well, he went to Tennessee and everybody knows my feelings on Marcus Mariota. Mitch was a little bit more forgiving than I was, but I dropped him down significantly and look at him now. I mean, he's a top 10, top 12 dynasty wide receiver. You could debate the rankings a little bit here or there, but then you talk about guys like Paris Campbell, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. They had a prime landing spot, and Ray, I'm right there with you. I moved up Paris Campbell significantly, and yeah, you're shaking your head. I am now shaking my head as well. So it was a big mistake. Two years ago, people did a little bit with Nick Chubb. Oh, it's a crowded backfield. You have Duke Johnson. He's going to catch the passes, limit his upside. You know, so his upside's limited, and you know, oh, well, I'm going to push Nick Chubb down my draft board. Here we are again. A couple years later, he's a top six, seven dynasty running back. So I think that's a very important lesson, and I learned that firsthand as well. If you have a pre-draft evaluation of a player, whether it's analytics or film-driven, yeah, the landing spot and draft capital, probably draft capital a little bit more, but the landing spot, it can influence a little bit one way or the other, but you shouldn't completely jack up your draft board for the sake of landing spot. Ray, what are your thoughts on draft capital? How much of an impact now, does that Now, that's have? where I do think that draft capital matters, right? Because the higher you're drafted, theoretically, you're going to get an opportunity to play. And if you get an opportunity to play, then you're going to have an opportunity to, to get counting stats and then in, in, in return fantasy football points. So I do think draft capital matters, especially for a running back. If you're drafted, what is it, day, day uh, round three or higher, there's probably a good shot that you're going to get an opportunity to get on that field sooner rather than later. <sighs> Wide receiver, I have not done the research and the study on how that really affects wide receivers because you've got guys like Darius Slayton. What round was he drafted in this past year? Fourth round pick, fifth round pick. I think the opportunity, and, and there's a reason why for wide receiver, it's a little bit different. The reason why is because the NFL game, the evolution of the game, you're seeing three, four wide receiver sets as base formations in an offense, right? If you're rolling out three to four wide receivers, receivers every single game for let's just say 40% of your offensive snaps, there's a good chance that that third and fourth round wide receiver, if they've got the talent, they're probably going to get on the field and, and you'd never know what can happen in that situation. But I think draft capital for me is going to influence some things a little more than landing spot. If my boy Jalen Rager, as much as I love him, if he doesn't get picked till round five, which won't happen, but if that did happen, I think that would that's telling. That's telling. And uh, that doesn't mean that I'm going to fade him completely, but there's no way on earth that I'm spending top 12 draft capital in, in my rookie drafts or top 24. It's somebody that I'd, I'd look to pay a cheaper cost later on in the draft. And I think what that, what draft capital and more so draft capital than landing spot. It just helps me categorize players into buckets, right? If you get the draft capital, I have no problem taking you in the top 10 or top 12 or top 15. But if you don't get the draft capital, that doesn't mean I'm crossing you off the list. I know a lot of people, the Hakeem Butler story or Kelvin Harmon. Okay, we thought they may have been first round picks, but they didn't get the draft capital. So, okay, I don't have to spit. Even better for me. If I still believe in the talent, I can get you the end of round three. I can get you in round four. It just helps me out a little bit. So I think it just helps me categorize these guys and put them in buckets as to when I feel comfortable spending on them in rookie drafts. 
So Darius Slayton was a fifth round pick here in 2019. And I think, and if anybody that really has the research and the data to support this, I did a little bit of it during last off season. And it seemed like right around that fourth round, especially for wide receivers, that's where the drop off kind of happened. And you had guys like Hakeem Butler and Kelvin Harmon. Well, Hakeem Butler slipped to the fourth. And what was Kelvin Harmon? Was he a sixth round pick? But anyway, we had he was a sixth. So we had these pre-draft evaluations and they were both top five rookie picks in a startup where rookies were included prior to the NFL draft. And that's where they were actually going. And now here we are. If you redraft that class from a dynasty perspective, they're not going anywhere near that, obviously. So again, I I think that's spot on the draft capital, probably a lot more important than necessarily the landing spot. Mitch, Dan, do you have anything else on that? or even any other questions or follow-ups? I'll just add perfect draft landing spot is the Miami Dolphins this year. So if John Bauer and his six yards per carry happen to go to Miami, I'm all in, all right? I saw but, some mocks out there, and I think I'm I'm rising up the boards here <laughs> as we speak because they heard that, that number. My BMI, it's in the good range. It's above the threshold, so I don't think we have to worry about it from that standpoint. There's a few running backs we want to talk about, and the first one, Ray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand on your soapbox and preach to the crowd about DeAndre Swift because you have him fairly high. But the running backs are interesting because I think a lot of them are landing spot dependent to an extent. So I didn't want to have a show here in February and say, all right, Ray, who's your number one running back? Who's your number two, your number three? I would love to have you back on the show, and we kind of talked about it already, immediately after the NFL draft, because once the landing spots are determined, we see where everybody went, then we really have a really good idea and a good picture for our dynasty values moving forward. But I want to give you an opportunity to talk about DeAndre Swift, especially because Dan has his Bulldogs jersey on over there. You have him high. How high do you have him and why? Yeah, I have him right now. Pre-draft, don't care where he lands at, he's RB12 for me, Dynasty, right now. He is, and, and I say this very carefully, He his his skill set, the, the dynamic playmaking ability that he has, not just as a runner between the tackles, but his ability to be used in space. And I always say, and I will, I will preach this from the highest mountaintop there is, there is a very, very big difference between being able to catch a couple of passes out of the backfield and being able to be deployed as a true weapon out of the backfield at the running back position. There are very few of those in the NFL who can do that. Austin Eckler is a weapon out of the backfield. Christian McCaffrey is a weapon out of the backfield. You have outlier situations, right? Let me go ahead and get ahead of this. Like a Leonard Fournette who has, what, 70 receptions in 20, 2019 and what, how many, however many targets that he had, ridiculous amount. There are always those situations. But I want those valuable touches from my running back in fantasy football. And I don't think there's any better running back in this class than DeAndre Swift who does what he can do. He's five foot nine. 215. I've seen him at 210, 220. So we'll just say 215. Very compactly built. But this guy, I mean, every single year that he played football at the University of Georgia, he's been dynamic. As a true freshman, he had Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb on the sidelines watching him play throughout the season. And we all know 
that Nick Chubb is spectacular. Sony Michelle hasn't quite lived up to the hype, but he was still a first round pick running back. He had his flashes here and there, but DeAndre Swift didn't take a backseat to any of those guys. 17 receptions, 32 receptions, 24 receptions, two back-to-back thousand yard seasons, 600 yards as a true freshman. Whatever you want out of a running back, you've got it in DeAndre Swift. And he only has 440 career rush attempts. That is so much tread left on that tire. His athleticism, the power that he plays with, he's fantastic in pass pro. His true freshman season, and and this is again where context matters, follow guys who watch college football. And Dan, I know you can back me right here. There was times where he was like lined up out wide, splitting the slot, and they didn't throw him the ball, but that's just how he was used. He's got that skill set to where if he lands, goodness, I mean, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, any, any of those spots, which let's not bring up Kansas City. That's like free square. We're not even going to talk about Kansas City. Tampa Bay or an offense that's creative enough to utilize his skill set, I think from day one, and I we joke and laugh, I think he can do it in Miami. I'm not afraid of the Miami Dolphins for DeAndre Swift. I'm not afraid of that. It's almost, give me that. You're telling me that if you switch out Patrick Laird and give DeAndre Swift those touches and carries that Patrick Laird was doing, you don't think that Swift would produce two, three times as much as that kid was doing last year? He is a tremendous running back prospect, and I am very comfortable having him as a top 12 dynasty running back right now in February. So he's your running back one today from this incoming rookie class, without a doubt. I've got one tier one running back, and his name is DeAndre Swift. Very good, very good. And you talked about the Miami Dolphins as a potential landing spot. Most of the mocks I'm seeing from people in the industry, they have DeAndre Swift going to the Dolphins at the end of the first round. So that seems like it really could be a possibility. I'll add to the DeAndre Swift talk and probably bring some questions back to you guys. I'm a diehard Georgia fan, which you know, just like my Cowboys, but there are times when I cannot be biased, and and I think this is one of them. I love Ray's takes. You know, I I wish we were having this conversation before the season. I'd be trading for 1.01 in every draft. Um, But in watching Georgia this year, not Ray, I don't know if I'm just a little bit sour because Georgia's season didn't go the way I I think fans expected. (laughs) And, you know, looking at this class now, you know, I think I would agree Swift is the, the number one unanimous pick. But is that by default, guys? You know, is it, just the gap between one and two that big? I do like Dobbins. I liked what I what he flashed that game in Clemson. He's, he showed good burst. I do hope Swift goes to Miami. I think they have nobody there. I like the way Miami responded to Coach Flores last season. That was a team that played hard for him without a lot of talent, and they were very competitive. So I think they're trending in a, in a good direction. But when I watch Swift at Georgia, you know, I definitely see that um, versatile back you're describing Ray well how good could he be like what is that ceiling you know being a Georgia fan and loving that tradition of running backs and seeing some real big time talent in recent years I'm not sure if I have him in that same class as Gurley Chubb you know Sony flashed in his last year like you said it didn't really materialize you know in New England but he was a first round pick so I I do agree Swift is good I'm interested in his spot Uh, I'm rooting for him but I am concerned about his ceiling you know they had a really good old line in Georgia this year so I I just expected more I'm not sure if that was a product of Georgia and not having a great passing game like they had in years past so so I do have some mixed feelings you know is it by default that he's good and number one this year how far could he go what do you guys think 
Well, I'll, I'll say this, and I think I think your point, and I'm a USC Trojans fan, so I understand about you're the most critical of your team of anybody because you watch them in and out far more than I have. I will say that in watching Georgia this past year, I think that whole offense was disappointing. I think Jake Fromm was disappointing. I understand it's a very good offensive line, but even they disappointed at times. There was nobody to throw the ball to on the outside. I think Pickens picked it up late. Cager was really good. I, I couldn't name you a tight end that they had. Zamir White, I expected big things out of him this fall. He did close to nothing. Brian Harrion. He's just a guy back there. I think that the Georgia offense, Jake Fromm, I, I think overall, they just weren't what they thought we that they would be, or maybe they're exactly who they were. And I, I'm not going to discredit uh, Swift for that, and I know that you're not either. Do I think that he's the runner that Nick Chubb is or that Todd Gurley is? No, I don't think he's the same type of runner, but what he can do is, I want my running back to be able to make defenders miss. The first, you've got to be able to make the first guy miss at running back. And he does that. I'll put that right up there with Nick Chubb and Todd Gurley. He does it in a different way. But the first defender, if you're in open field with DeAndre Swift, it's it's lights out. You're not going to get him. You're not going to, he's going to make somebody miss. What he lacks from a rushing, a true running standpoint, right? I think Jonathan Taylor's the best pure runner in this class. Just hand him the ball, let him go. But I like the versatility that DeAndre Swift brings to the game. He's somebody that I think his his floor from day one in the NFL, I think his floor is 50 receptions. I, I think that's floor for DeAndre Swift. He's going to go out from day one, and I said it here on the Superflexology Fantasy Football Podcast, 50 receptions is his floor as a rookie. I think you're looking at that type of production from him. I heard a stat the other day that Austin Eckler, he was PPR RB4, and he had less than... I think it was 200 total touches on 200 total carries. It was some ridiculously low amount of carries on the season because he's getting the valuable looks. You know, I, I don't care if you're not banging between the tackles and you can't carry the ball 28 times a game like Nick Chubb. Personally, I prefer to have a team filled up with Austin Eckler's and Christian McCaffrey's and DeAndre Swift's. I want somebody that's going to go out there. If he can give me 14 carries and catch five balls a game, I'll take that. If he can give me 17 carries and catch six or seven passes, give me that opposed to, I'll tell you right now, Jonathan Taylor's not going to have that. I'm telling you right now, in the NFL, if Jonathan Taylor hits 70 receptions in the season, I'll do something ridiculous. We can make up some bet and I'll do something silly, eat mayonnaise or shave my head bald or do something stupid like that. But Jonathan Taylor's not giving you that at the next level, okay? So I want those valuable touches. Travis Etienne's not going to give you that when he comes out next year. Chuba Hubbard's not going to give you that. I think the floor for DeAndre Swift is 50 carries and however many, 50 receptions and however many carries he's going to give you. I think he's that dynamic of a player, even if he's not that good of a, not as good a rusher as a Todd Gurley or a uh, Nick Chubb. So you don't agree with Booger McFarland whenever he said that he doesn't need his running backs to catch passes, which was absurd. How that man has a job, I don't know. That's yeah. a great take, though, Ray. <laughs> 50 receptions in fantasy football, we all know is gold. So if that is his floor, great take, great points. 
I just wanted to bring this back. You made a good point about if he comes in at RB12, I think that's fair. That puts him right around Fournette, Miles Sanders, Aaron Jones, right around that level. And I just want to bring it back to startups right now, because if you're going to be doing a startup pretty much all the way through September, the rookie 102 right now in drafts is going two to three rounds before than what those running back 12s are going at this point. And so when you're looking at startups and you're wanting to take those rookies, you're like, hey, I have that. I think you brought this up a couple of weeks ago, John, about how if you're drafting the 102 that early, there's no way you're going to get value out of it mm-hmm. because you're hoping that he could be RB12 on the year. That is, would be awesome if your rookie running back can get that. But it's being drafted now at the RB4, RB5. And you're just not going to be able to get that value out of them. So I think Swift coming in as the RB12 is perfect. But if you're going to go out in rookie drafts right now, sorry, not rookie drafts, in startups right now before the draft happens and you're drafting those rookie spots, you're just going to end up overdrafting them. And it's better just to get the proven talent at that point and let those rookies slide down the draft a little bit. Yeah, 101 and 102 in startups right now, if the draft picks are being included, their value, they're not a value. They are going tremendously high and essentially at their ceiling. So while, Ray, you see DeAndre Swift as a top 12 dynasty running back, and that might be the case, you're going to have to take him a lot earlier if you're counting him as the 101 or the 102 in Superflex startups. Before we – so we have a few – to replace the rapid fire tonight, and you guys know I love my weekly rapid fires. So to replace the rapid fire, we're going to talk about a few rookies as if they're being included in startups. So these are startups prior to the NFL draft, and we all know that my fantasy league gets rolling over later this week. I cannot wait. I'm ready for more startups. You know, so we're going to talk about a few of those guys, where we would take them compared to veterans. We have a few more things though. So two questions here, Ray. How important is the combine for you? Is it more? Well, I'm going to let you answer before I give any follow-up questions. Uh, it's fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fun event. I like to watch it. But uh, to be honest with you, if I'm high on a player, I don't I, unless DeAndre Swift goes out there and runs a four six nine, it's it's not going to really do much for much of anything for me. It may make me go back if if I'm really high on a player and they go out there and bomb it. I mean, just poor explosion. They don't run well, and it's not just one event. A lot of people when they think combine, all they think is the forty yard dash. I'm more concerned with the broad jump. I want to see what the vertical jump looks like. I want to see if these guys are truly explosive athletes. I'm looking at the 10-yard split. So if if you go out there and completely bomb it, then absolutely, I'm going to go back and I'm going to just make sure I didn't miss anything in my evaluation. Like, is this guy as explosive as I thought he did? If somebody performs really well, when Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager go out there and run a 4-3 or 4-2, it's not going to change anything. I know they're fast. I've, I've watched them every Saturday. I, I expect them to be fast. I expect DeAndre Swift and Jerry Judy to crush in the agility drills. I expect some of these guys to go out there and... Be, DK Metcalf didn't shock me last year. Like I knew he was going to be a freak athlete, so I didn't propel him to number one after the combine, and I'm not going to completely knock people down if they don't have as good a combine. I think it's, it's, it's one of the more overrated sort of pre-draft model event type things that there are. I think it's 
I think it's very, very overrated to a certain extent for certain positions. Wide receiver, I do want to make sure if I'm counting on Rager to be this dynamic, explosive wide receiver, then damn it, you need to go out there and run fast. Please go out there and do what you should do. I just don't need you to be a snail out there. So I I would love to hear the follow-up questions you have in regards to the combine. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up DK Metcalf. So last year, around this time, obviously the combine coming up here in a few weeks, he ran, what, 4-3 something. And it did propel him up some startup draft boards where the rookies were included. My issue with the combine is it seems like people, they're essentially double counting metrics or measurables. We knew DK Metcalf was going to be fast. So whatever you had him valued as, he showed you exactly that in the combine. His value shouldn't be changing for you. So I'm I'm thrilled that you brought that up. And then you kind of touched on it a little bit already. But is the combine, do you use it more to discount your already made evaluations or does it kind of just check another box and reaffirm what you already believed? And again, you kind of touched on that a little bit. Yeah, it sort of checks a box, right? Uh, Like, okay, Rager went out there. He's explosive. Check. He goes out there. He runs fast. Check. He looked good in agility. Drills. Check. Like it it checks some boxes. And to be honest with you, this is going to sound really crazy. Really, really, really crazy, and there is no metric to track it. But I've all—I learned another lesson through draft season last year, and it, it didn't come by way of an offensive fantasy skill position player. But those interviews, like players who just completely bomb the interviews, and you're hearing reports that that there's there's low character there, there's something going on. It it happened with a player that the Dallas Cowboys drafted named Tristan Hill. They picked him in the third round, defensive tackle, and his film was very good at UCF he was a very disruptive defensive tackle but everything coming out of the combine was the kid doesn't want to work he's entitled you know pretty much said he's a lazy player Dallas Cowboys drafted him in third round and was a wasted pick polite the defensive end out of the University of Florida same thing he was like a consensus top 15 overall pick interviews and everything that was coming out of the combine was this kid doesn't work he's not going to work hard he's entitled he fell I don't even know if he's on a team right now so I kind of listen to what, you know, the, the the NFL community is saying about these guys. And I don't take anything for like, you know, I, I take everything with a grain of salt, but it, it just checks boxes. It's fun to talk about their speed. But when, when, when Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager run fast, I'm not about to just lose my mind and jump these guys up to wide receiver one, two, three, whatever it is. It just checks a box. It's, it's a fun event to watch. And I think that's extremely important for the listeners in the dynasty community in general. Again, we shouldn't basically be double counting any of these measurables. We have an expectation. We have a general idea of what the they're going to do if they do exactly that and they are fast you shouldn't bump them up your draft board yeah jb i want to add too i I like that ray brought up character and and, you know checking boxes you know i consider the combine sort of like analytics i'm looking for an edge you know so what can we learn at the combine that maybe we didn't know maybe i caught something on a day and you guys weren't watching and you know we're getting ready for a draft and i'm trying to get a little bit of an edge on you uh you know those things like character conditioning work ethic if i can learn a little bit more about a player that's going to give me an edge i'm going to take it you know ray mentioned tristan hill you know he had some baggage cowboys 
got him a little bit later. Years earlier, they took Leal Collins, who was supposed to be a first-round pick. They got him as a free agent. But they did their research, and some of that character stuff they knew wasn't true. He's turned out to be a great player in the NFL. So for fantasy football, you know, we go back a little bit. Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf. There's this big debate over those two guys. Ryan Leaf goes into the combine about 20 pounds or whatever, overweight. What makes you think this guy's going to have work ethic in the NFL if he's not in shape for his NFL combine? So, hey, hopefully you guys didn't, you know, didn't know about that and you take Leaf. I'm going to grab Manning on you. So I'm looking for any edge, any kind of information that's going to give me a little better long-term prognosis of a prospect. Yes, spot on. It is a job interview. When you come in and perform at the combine, good. You did what you were supposed to do. You were prepared. You worked your tail off. If you come in there lazy, out of shape, can't finish drills, have to pull, like, that's when you start. That's when, again, I'm not going to completely knock a guy off my draft board, but there will be an asterisk put next to his name, came in out of shape. The, the offensive tackle from Alabama a couple of years ago, or, well, about 10 years ago, or however long it was, Andre Smith, just couldn't even compete at the combine because he was too out of shape to do anything like those are the little edges that you kind of you put an asterisk next to somebody's name and say okay if he falls a little bit and and when it's all about value when do you when do you want to spend the draft capital on that player if you're coming into the biggest job interview of your life out of shape and you run slow because you're out of shape you, you just put a little red mark next to that name and on draft day you you, you draft him at value you don't overpay for a player like that yeah right and I, I think when we look at offensive linemen I know, you know, some of our listeners are probably saying, hey, how does that apply to fantasy football? But if you're looking at the entire roster and that lazy old lineman that's out of shape is the lead blocker for, you know, that starting tailback, that tailback may move down on my list because he has nobody to, you know, create lanes for him. So, you know, what is the talent around the players that we're picking as well? Yeah, Dan, that's a great point. And Mitch, you always talk about offensive lines. You love to look up all the metrics and adjusted line yards and football outsiders. So that's something that, Mitch, I love that perspective that you bring to the show as well. I think it's the most overlooked thing in fantasy right now is the offensive line. It matters for the whole offense to work in. When you have a bad one, it kills you. And so if you're not paying attention to it, you just don't have a chance. You know how high I was on the Atlanta Falcons coming into the season. And -hmm. while Matt Ryan was still productive, Julio Jones had a great season. Devontae Freeman often injured. But, you know, that offensive line, the injuries preseason, it didn't help them at all. So the offensive line, absolutely very important to look at. Dan, you talk about it being a job interview and red flags popping up. One of my first job interviews, I applied to work at Old Navy. It was at the mall, one of the malls here in Pittsburgh. And I thought Old Navy... They wear T-shirts, shorts, and flip-flops. So I showed up to my interview, (laughs) no joke, in a T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. And I I think everything was from Old Navy, so I was on brand. Needless to say, I did not get a call back there. But it ties in perfectly with Dan saying here about these guys coming in to the combine in shape and the character concerns and the work ethic. So it is something to keep an eye on. Maybe that's one thing that you can take away from the combine. And if you have a job interview, don't show up with a t-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. Again, all Navy brand, but no, they didn't want me to, to work for them. Before we get into the rookies and compare them to some of the veterans, one last question, because it's it's an important question, and it's something to keep in mind when you're in your first Debbie League. And last offseason, Mitch and I, we joined our first ever Debbie league and Ray you me Mitch we had the group chat going and we were bugging the crap out of you and you were probably like guys just leave me alone already because we didn't know we had no idea we were going into a blind what's the impact on value of these Debbie picks compared to typical rookie draft picks because it does take a hit correct 
Big time. And I was listening to a, a Twitter friend of mine, Kyle Francis from the Debbie Watch. He was on a podcast. I was listening to him on Saturday and he just, he was echoing everything that I felt in my soul about Debbie Picks in a startup. And I'm actually in a startup right now with combined rookie and Debbie Picks in the startup. It's a Debbie league. And I would say if we're valuing rookie picks as a 50-50 shot to hit. If that's what our value is in a typical startup draft, 50-50, your rookie pick to hit. I'd say Debbie picks uh, would be like 25% or less chance of hitting. I mean, it's even half of what a rookie pick is for me. It is very, very risky. And I learned another lesson in a Debbie league when I drafted Grant Calcaterra, tight end from Oklahoma. Very talented tight end. It's a tight end premium league. I wanted to get my hands on a young tight end early. He ends up retiring. So he didn't even finish out the college football season. He retired beginning of 2019. Unless the player is close to can't miss, which is impossible to quantify. It's I'm, I'm talking Trevor Lawrence type player. I'm discounting those Debbie picks in a startup with combined rookie. I would rather have Clyde Edwards Elaire, my running back five in 2020, opposed to the Debbie 102 right now. Give me the guy that's going to be on the field this season that I that I'm 95% confident that he's going to play NFL football in the next couple of months, opposed to somebody who may or may not come out in 2021, who may or may not get injured during that college football season who may or may not even continue their collegiate career. It is a, and that is the, if I showed you my roster from all the Debbie leagues that I'm in, you wouldn't believe that I'm a Debbie guy because in majority of them, I don't even have my Debbie picks. I don't have them. I traded them away. I traded in a real life scenario. I traded three Debbie picks, round one, round two, and round three for Devin Singletary. Give me the guy that I know is going to be running the ball in the NFL and scoring points. If I want to get a Debbie pick, I'll figure that out later on. Like, I'll figure it out. You can have all my Debbie picks, take them. I want either incoming rookies or I want proven NFL talent. And I will figure out a way to acquire a Debbie pick to take Brock Purdy here in the next couple of months. But it's, I would say, I would value them 25% less than the 50% shot that your rookie rookie pick has. And my advice to the listeners in Debbie Leagues, do not for any reason, I don't care if it's Brevin Jordan, Pat Fryermuth, or Kyle Pitts, who I think are all going to be first-round picks in the NFL draft if they declare in 2021, don't pick tight ends in Debbie. Don't do it. Like, just don't do it. Don't, don't try to be ahead of the curve. Don't take tight ends. If you're going to use Debbie draft capital on somebody, I would say wide receiver and quarterback and half the time, not even a quarterback wide receiver is probably the way to go. Um, it is just such a crapshoot. It's, I, I don't hold those picks, John, in high regard whatsoever. If you looked at my rosters and all of my Debbie leagues, I literally probably have one Debbie pick in five Debbie leagues right now. I'll figure it out later. Mitch, what are your thoughts? Because like I said, you and I, we jumped into it pretty blind last offseason. And again, thank God we had Ray and the Destination Debbie podcast because it was a saving grace. I asked you, Ray, I said, what do you think about Rondale Moore? And you said, get him. And I did. So for that, I'm thankful. But Mitch, what are your thoughts? We jumped into that draft last year and we both went in kind of with the same strategy. We just hit veterans really hard and rookies coming in. And then we grabbed a couple of Debbie guys really late. You ended up going undefeated in that league and won the championship, right? Yeah, I went, I went 15 and 0. I don't like yeah. to brag about it, but yeah, 15 and 0. 
And I lost one game during the regular season and playoffs happened and I lost the first first round. But I just think that's the best way to go about it. Trying to hit on rookie picks is impossible. Trying to hit on Debbie picks, I I'm not going to be able to do it. That's for sure. And we talk about it in the NFL all the time, especially with running backs, two, three-year window. We don't know what's going to happen beyond that. Now you're trying to project out college players. I mean, that's beyond my pay grade. John, and let me tell you something real quick. And this is how this is how wild uh, college football is and why valuing these Debbie picks in startups is just not a good strategy. Going in, and I tried to pull up the, okay, I've got the ADP right here provided by Debbie Watch. So, According to DLF right now, our number one rated Debbie player is wide receiver Jamar Chase out of LSU. Do you want to know where Jamar Chase was going in Debbie startup drafts over the summer? He was almost outside. He was wide receiver, good grief, like wide receiver 30 in Debbie startups last year. I mean... You, you, you know what I mean? And he elevated him. And that's just wide receivers. So overall ADP, you're talking about guys like Clyde Edwards-Elair. He was being drafted like 127. And you're talking about a potential first round rookie draft pick. Every year, there's going to be people in college football that disappoint significantly and come out of nowhere and rise up the draft board. So trying to play that guessing game in Debbie is very, very hard. If you're in a Debbie startup draft this year, yes, you've got the Rondell Moores and Jamar Chases. Yes, those guys are good. Like if you get the top five Debbie picks, you're probably okay. After that, I would just punt figure it out later or, you know, let your league mates draft all those guys and you take those veterans. You take Devin Singletary. Heck, go go get David Montgomery. I know he didn't even have that great a season, but I'd rather bank on David Gump- Montgomery turning it around before I go take Wandale Robinson out of Nebraska and hope and wish that he becomes the starting running back for an NFL franchise. You mentioned something. I want to stay on that thought. It's going to be an easy transition into talking about some of the incoming rookies and how we value that. Well, correction, how you value them, Ray, compared to some NFL veterans. And you made a very good point that every year there's some college players. They come out of nowhere. Well, the Devi league that Mitch and I are in, Joe Burrow, and it's a two-copy league, Joe Burrow wasn't even discussed. He wasn't taken in our startup. So guess what? He's still available. It's a super flex league, of course. He's probably going to go 101 and 102 because it's, again, the two-copy league. So Joe Burrow is a perfect example of what you talked about. And Mitch, you had a question here about Joe Burrow for, for Ray. I didn't. It's more of Joe Burrow is going to be the 101 in Superflex leagues. It should happen in every league unless someone's roster is just built completely out of quarterbacks. But if Joe Burrow is the 101, is it being overvalued this year just because it's the 2020 rookie draft? We look at rookies. We want them because they're young. They have all this opportunity to grow and get better. But Joe Burrow is 24. Someone like Sam Darnold And Tua, they're both 20, I think, sorry, Sam Darnold's 23, Tua's 22. Why do we have such a high value on the 101 this year when I think Burroughs can be really good, but I don't know if he's going to be any better than what Sam Darnold is. And before Dan jumps in and says, well, Adam Gase, but (laughs) I mean, Burroughs going to be going to the Bengals. So they're just as bad and just as dysfunctional as the Jets are. And I don't think we could 
you know, prop up one over the other if that's the case. So my question was just, is the 101 being overvalued this year? And I'm going to jump in before Ray says anything because I I think he's going to say yes because looking at where he has Joe Burrow compared to some of these grizzled vets such as Sam Darnold, the 23-year-old grizzled vet, and Jimmy Garoppolo, it seems like, Ray, you might have Joe Burrow a little bit lower than the consensus rankings. Uh, I think, and let's just say we can't trade, and of course we're all going to trade. I think the worst pick to have this year in Superflex formats is 101. I would not want the 101 in Superflex rookie drafts this year. I'm I, I'm sorry. I don't want it in my longest-running home league. I have the 102, and I'm even trying to trade out of that pick because I feel like I would be forced to take Joe Burrow one. Like, I feel like I'd just – I feel like I'd be forced to do it. I, I'm trying to talk myself into other scenarios where I wouldn't take the quarterback, but we all know in Superflex formats the quarterback is just so valuable. Joe Burrow is good, all right? He's a very, I think he's a very talented quarterback. I think he, there's a lot of intangibles that he brings to the table. I like to see his improvement over the year, uh, over the year uh, that he had in 2018 opposed to 2019. A little bit, I question how much of it was Burrow, how much of it was Joe Brady. You look at that LSU offense, which will go down as the best offensive team in college football history, history, two wide receivers over 1,400 receiving yards. Both of them almost had 20. 20 touchdowns. Their wide receiver three had 11 or 13 touchdowns. Tight ends, running backs. He threw 60 freaking touchdown passes, right? 60. Tim Tebow, Tua, uh, Lamar Jet. No one, what he just did. I, I, there was a day where I sat back and I said, I'm like, this is ridiculous what he just did. And I, I think to answer the question, he's being overvalued. I think people are looking at Cincinnati and they're looking at Tyler Boyd and they're looking at Joe Mixon and they're looking at John Ross and, you know, whatever you want to say about A.J. Green and thinking they're just going to drop him in that offense and he's going to go out there and be wide uh, quarterback eight on the season. And I just, I don't think that's a realistic possibility. You know, I told you guys where I have him ranked uh, according to our rankings over on DLF and I'd be, I would I would take Sam Darnold over Joe Burrow. I would take Daniel Jones over Joe Burrow. I know this sounds gross. I would take Jared Goff right now over Joe Burrow. And it makes me feel dirty to say that. But I I just, I, I, I think he could develop. I think he could develop and be a very good quarterback. When I look at ceiling, I don't even know if he's got the ceiling of a Baker Mayfield, of a Carson Wentz, of a... Josh Allen. I don't know. I don't know. So I would not want to have the 101 in the Superflex League this year. I personally just would not want that at all. And that kind of lines up with what we said on a previous episode here. We talked about startups and we looked at it from the side where rookie picks are included in the startup. And all three of us, Dan, Mitch, and myself, we kind of thought 101 was already being overvalued, overdrafted. And it's great coming from a Devi guy. You know, you're the doctor of Devi, the king of college. I had all these little alliterations lined up that I actually didn't use. So maybe I'll slip a few more into the show here. But it's I great. I like that. I like that. Yeah, you might have to steal <laughs> a few of those. So yeah. it's nice to hear that from you as well and that it lines up with our thoughts here. Because the rookie picks, yeah, the hype is real. But most likely, you know, whether it's the rookie picks being included or the actual rookies, maybe pump the brakes a little bit on Joe Burrow. Now, before we get into a running back we want to talk about, where do you have him in relation to Tua? 
Okay, so I'm going to be honest with you. Tua is still my quarterback one. I, I still think Tua is the best quarterback in this draft class. I understand the hip injury. I understand that he's not going to go number one overall. If I had to build my franchise today, I would take the ch- shot on Tua. I've seen it longer. I've seen him do it at the highest level as a true freshman all the way through his junior year. And if anybody wants to, if you're gushing at Joe Burrow stats, go look at what Tua did in nine games pre-injury. He was on a ridiculous 50-plus touchdown pace himself. I mean, it just, I've seen enough out of Tua Tungavailoa to say that he is my personal quarterback one in this draft. I do not have them far apart at all because they're right there neck and neck for me. I understand the concerns about Tua, but until somebody tells me he's not going to be able to spin a football and he can't move anymore, then he's my quarterback one for me. So if I have the 103 rookie pick in a super flex or two quarterback league, I should be thrilled to get Tua at that spot. It's a steal. I think if you can get Tua anywhere outside of 101, I think that's a massive win for you. I'm like I said, I'm sitting at 102 in the league. Put it this way, I'm and I'm putting my money where my mouth is. If the person at 101 takes Tua, I probably will not take Joe Burrow. I am banking and hoping that Tua falls to 102 for me because I will pull that trigger and hope that he red shirts in 2020 and then have my starting quarterback for the next 10 to 12 years after that. Right, and I actually, I'm anticipating, especially 12-team super flex leagues, I think Tua is going to be available at 103 in a lot of leagues because whether it's Burrow or Swift, especially if he has a nice landing spot. But if it's Burrow and Swift in either order, I think two is going to be there at 103, like I said. And you're going to see a lot of people, whether or not they're set at quarterback or maybe they just fade quarterbacks in super flex leagues. And we all know that's a fantastic idea. Sarcasm oozing through the microphone here. But let's say you fade quarterback and you wanted to go Swift. Like I said, two is probably going to be there at 103. And I have 103 in a few leagues. So I'm looking to get that steal like you mentioned, Ray. Dan, do you have anything about Burrow 101? How Ray has him compared to Darnold, Jimmy G, Goff? Any thoughts there? I'm hoping Ray's right. And, you know, I talked about Burrow in one of our previous episodes. And, you know, I don't want to cast character on anybody you know I don't know these guys personally I don't know the coaches but in trying to get that edge and what I have seen and I listen to these interviews there's just a certain arrogance about Joe Burrow that just rubs me the wrong way and again I, I'm, I'm hoping it's just a young immature kid I, you know I wish him the best I hope he has a successful career but if that is kind of him like I'm watching one interview and I don't know if he's with Kirk Herbstreet or wherever and they're asking him what he thought about the Heisman and he kind of like ah it's just 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 the trophy it's just something else and to me that was kind of disrespectful to all those guys guys that won that Heisman, that whole class that takes such pride in winning that award. And, you know, what happens when you go to the NFL and you take that, you know, that big jump and you're getting knocked around in the NFL? Do you have the character to be successful? And that's what I question right now. So, too, I've, I've listened to his interviews. He's always been humble. He's got character. He's got great instincts. You know, he's we've seen it for longer. And, and I think you need that larger body of work to, you know, increase the your odds of being successful in fantasy football and in the NFL. So I'm with you. You know, I have 102 in one league, and I'm strongly eyeing up Tua. And, you know, it'll be a little tough passing up Swift if he does go to somewhere like Miami. But I have no problem passing on Burrow. So I I like Ray's take a lot. And it does line up. Like you said, Dan, we did talk about Joe Burrow on a previous show when we talked about the 101. And, again, it's always nice to hear somebody that is more knowledgeable in an area. And, again, Ray 
hats off to you from in the Devi world. But it's always nice to hear your perspective and your thoughts line up with somebody else, you know, such as Ray. So, JB, one one more man. Just uh, you mentioned Adam Gase and comparisons there, and then Sam Darnold. Ray, I don't know if you've heard us talk about this before. I'm big on just staying away from dysfunctional teams. I am so against Adam Gase and what he's done. And even if he gets fired halfway through the season, the Jets still, for some reason, hired him. I don't see how the players play for him. I never like the coach's body language. I'm concerned about Sam Darnold just being a Jet. So I might take Burrow over anybody who plays for the Jets. Uh, that's that's fair. That's very fair. <laughs> Yeah, Dan hates dysfunction, even though he's a big Cowboys fan, but we'll let that slide. So two more guys here, and this will be a little bit more rapid fire-like. We had a nice deep dive there on Joe Burrow and the 101, but running back, J.K. Dobbins, we talked about him. We mentioned him earlier in the show. Ray, right now, today, you're in a startup and rookies are going to be included. Where do you feel comfortable taking him in relation to other running backs? So for me, according to DLF, that's RB16. Behind Austin Eckler, uh, looking at it, he's behind Todd Gurley, behind Melvin Gordon, behind Aaron Jones. If I were to move him up, it'd be just a, a little bit above those guys. I'd probably bump Eckler up to 13 and then I can put uh, J.K. Dobbins at 14. So anywhere between 14 and 16 is where I'd feel comfortable with J.K. For me, and I'll be very quick, he's just B+. He's B-plus across the board. I don't see anything spectacular out of J.K. Dobbins. I don't see anything bad. He's just B-plus. He's got B-plus speed, B-plus power, B-plus athlete. Like, he's just solid across the board and that's fine that's I think he's still a very talented running back I just I I don't see outside of him landing in Indianapolis or Tampa Bay or Kansas City I don't see a way that I'm putting him over Nick Chubb Joe Mixon Dalvin Cook Miles Sanders Leonard Fournette Josh Jacobs I just he's not he's not that for me right now I like J.K. Dobbins there are some people who are head over heels for J.K. I mean RB1 top eight running back right now I'm just not there with with him. The the dip in production in 2018, again, this is where the analytics community makes a lot of excuses for things. Why did his yards per carry dip down so much? Why did he allow Mike Weber to continue to just, you know, pound the ball over him? I think he's a solid back, and I'd take Austin Eckler over him right now in a heartbeat. Give me Eckler. So one thing that you want to let our listeners know, if they're in a startup that includes rookies, maybe pump the brakes a little bit on J.K. Dobbins. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, really quick, before we wrap up the show, a wide receiver that we want to bring up, Jalen Rager. It seems like the Twitter community, the Dynasty community, is a little bit higher on him than the actual NFL. I'm seeing a lot of people have Rager, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Ray, but I think you might have had him as your wide receiver one in this class at one point. Maybe I misspoke there. But then you see Ruggs, he's going in the first round of NFL mocks, and Rager's, it sounds like he might be in the second but nobody's having him up there ahead of some of these other wide receivers. So how do you view him against veterans in startups? Where would you value him? Between Terry McLaurin and and Adam Thielen right now. So over guys like Robert Woods, over T.Y. Hilton, over Marquise Brown, over Nikhil Harry, but still below Lockett, Debo, Gallup, Christian Kirk, Jarvis Landry, and then, you know, the names ahead of him. The thing with Rager, and this is, again, why context matters, Coming into 2019, there were a lot of people very, very high on Jalen Rager coming into this season, and he had an abysmal, an abysmal 2019. I mean, that 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 is putting it mildly. 
But I'm going to provide some insight here. There were three games in 2019 where a wide receiver for the TCU Horn Frogs did not have a reception until the six-minute mark in the second quarter of, of three football games. And there were two games where Jalen Rager wasn't even targeted until the third quarter. When I say that offense was putrid, it was he he's played with six different quarterbacks in his collegiate career. This past year, they had a running true freshman quarterback back there. The offense was just, it was bad. And despite his low raw stats, if you just pull up pro football reference or college football reference and look at his raw stats, they weren't weren't impressive 600 yards 40 something receptions however he still had over 30 percent of the market share of receptions over 30 percent of the market share of receiving yards i think 50 percent of the touchdowns and it's how he was used right the difference this is what i like to see out of my wide receivers and i, I want you guys to to you can apply this and use this information however you like you look at the odell beckham there are certain players like julio jones and and Cortland sutton they're not built the same way that an odell beckham and jalen rager are but what Odell Beckham did in college, he returned punts. What CeeDee Lamb did in college, he returned punts. What Jalen Rager did in college is he returned. That tells me that they have a unique skill set to make plays. They can be a playmaker, get the ball in their hands, and they can make plays. Jalen Rager was used in the backfield. He was used as a wide receiver. He was using the punt return and the kick return game because he is that dynamic of an athlete. I have maintained since April of 2019 that he reminds me, and I don't comp players often, I don't do it on podcasts, I don't do it in articles, but he reminds me of a more explosive version of Percy Harvin, and that is the personal NFL comp that I have for him. And a lot of people, they hear that and they're like, uh, Percy Harvin wasn't that good. Percy Harvin was really good. And he played with some bad quarterbacks. He played with Joe Webb and Donovan McNabb and Christian Ponder. And when he finally got Brett Favre there for a year, he was special. His 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 career was cut short because of the, those chronic migraines. But he is somebody that I believe from day one is going to make an impact in the NFL. And I would take him over the McCole Hardmans of the world. He is he is that dynamic of an athlete. So if you are a fan of film and a fan of analytics, I mean, he he's the best of both worlds. And to your point with the mock drafts, I've seen him late first, you know, second round of most industry mock drafts. But I think that's going to change um, because he is going to. And this is an inevitable result of the combine. And it's, it's a shame that it's going to happen, but he's going to kill the combine. I mean, I, I jokingly say that if there's a player that's going to break player profiler, a la Noah Fant, where he just had like 99s across the board, it's going to be Jalen Rager. One fun bat, fun fact about him for the, for the podcast, at one point in time in his high school career, this football player had the furthest long jump in the United States of America in track and field. And why that's important, long jump, broad jump, any kind of jumping thing like that, that shows your explosion, your burst. A lot of people think Henry Ruggs is going to run the fastest time. When the prop bets come out for the combine, I'm putting my money on Jalen Rager. I don't think there's a player in this class that accelerates as fast as he does from, from zero to 60. He's that special of an athlete. And I've talked to him a couple of times and I asked him, is Henry Ruggs faster than you? And he told me personally that there's nobody in college football that's faster than him. That's awesome. JB, when you were averaging six yards a carry in grade school, I did have the the best long jump in gym class. I just want to add that per, per that feedback. <laughs> You're always trying to one-up me, Dan. You're always trying to one-up me. Maybe we'll have to have a super flexology combine whenever we go to Canton in August. There Should you we? go. I'll come in but, last. But, but way too but, old for that. 
But here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. You're not going to have to spend high draft capital on Jalen Rager unless he gets picked, you know, in the first round of the NFL draft. You've got a player that you know. Let somebody take LaVisca Schnapp. Let, please, if you're listening to this show, let them, let your league mates take Henry Ruggs. Please let him go top six. Be top five. Please take Henry Ruggs as wide receiver two and let somebody like Jalen Rager fall to me at the back half of the first or the early second round. That is a steal of all steals. You will be very, very happy if that happens in your rookie drafts. There you go. You heard it from Ray Garvin, the doctor of Debbie, the king of college, the undergrad guru himself. Take Jalen Rager and you will not be disappointed. I always think it's interesting when you look at the incoming rookies versus the veterans, because that's a big question mark, especially before the NFL draft. And a lot of us take part in startups where the rookies are included, and some of them are going to be overvalued. It's inevitable. Make sure you're taking them in the correct range. Don't reach for them. Maybe you won't even have to. And, you know, I, I think this is great insight, Ray. Mitch, Dan, do you have anything else for Ray? When you have one of the best, if not the best, Devi mind at our disposal, pick his brain. Do you have anything else for him? I think we picked it a lot over two hours here. I've been, I'm, I'm enjoying this, Ray, but uh, I definitely just want to keep in touch with you and keep on picking that brain as, as we go. Been a pleasure. Yeah, man. I just want to thank you for coming on and helping us out. I mean, like John was saying earlier, we've been chatting for over a year and through the different leagues and everything. And it's been really good, you know, seeing you just start off your podcast and where you're at now. It's inspirational to all of us. Yeah, Ray, like they said, fantastic things that you've been doing. You kicked off the Destination Debbie podcast less than a year ago. And the traction you've gained, especially on Twitter, it's been a meteoric rise. What else do you have lined up here? Any upcoming projects, anything you're going to be working on throughout the offseason that you want our listeners to know about here? I'll just say, you know, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, JB is giving the Twitter handle out. When I come on people's shows, man, I, I appreciate the opportunity to plug my stuff. I, I really do, but I don't really, that's not what I'm here for. You know what I mean? I, I wanted to just talk to you guys. I feel like we could have gone another hour. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, I've got a lot of stuff going on, but more so than anything, I just want to thank you guys, the, the work that you do. And I mean, and I've even sent you guys screenshots of when I'm telling people to listen to your podcast, right? So the 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 quality of work that you do i just i just want to tell you guys dan mitch john i appreciate that because there are so many shows out here that just provide surface level analysis and and i'm just gonna say it if your show sounds like crap i'm not gonna listen i'm gonna turn it off like if your audio is jacked up if it's if it's unedited if it's not professional i'm not listening and this show has just gotten better and better with how you guys are operating what you're bringing to the table. You, you spent a whole freaking show talking about Matt Rule and Matt and Mike McCarthy, like to, to break down <laughs> coaches in, in a one, like, like that's the depth of the analysis that you have. So I would just implore if there are people out there, if any of my followers are just listening to this, uh, when this podcast is released, because I'm on it, please subscribe to this show. Listen to these guys because I promise you they are going to help you out in your super flex drafts and your rookie drafts, and they really help provide some context around these players and why they're why they should be valued appropriately or if they're or overvalued. So I just want to say I'm a fan of good quality, and this is a high quality show. So thank you for having me on and letting me burn a hole in your ear for an hour and fifty minutes. It was an absolute 
blast. And just like Dan said, we could probably sit here for a few more hours, but I moved my recording location into the bedroom tonight. And I think the wife's going to be getting a little upset here shortly. I'm in the toy room right now. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I bounce around the house wherever I can find any room to record. I might be recording in the closet next week, but Ray, those were extremely kind words. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for jumping on the show with us here tonight. For our listeners, thank you for joining us for the Super Flexology Fantasy Football Show. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Super Flexology. And make sure you check out our Facebook page, the Super Flexology Fantasy Football Show. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to the Super Flexology Podcast. If you want the latest news in fantasy football, follow us on Twitter at Super Flexology, The Bauer Club, and Dino MC.